This morning, if you would turn to Psalm 78, I want us to think about the future by way of the past, which is what Psalm 78 does. It is the second longest psalm. We're only going to look at its introduction this morning, verses 1 through 8. The psalm itself is largely a history lesson. It is an instructive um, section of Scripture that is designed to take the people of Israel to remind them of their history, to remind them of God's dealings with Israel, and to show them where they stood at that particular moment in history. But it is, of course, the purpose of this history lesson that is important to us today. It's that we learn from history and that we learn lessons that help us into the future. It was 1905 when the Spanish philosopher wrote, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. That was really not an original thought. You can go back to scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There's a description there of Israel's history, kind of an abbreviated version Paul gives of Israel's history in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 of, uh, of God's works and the nation's failings. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, now these things happen to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. These things, this history was for them an example of God's working in their lives, an example of their need for God's grace in their lives, for forgiveness, but they are not merely elements of some old story that are simply interesting to history buffs. That's why Paul is saying, I'm, I'm reciting these things because these things have relevancy for you and I. They were written for our instruction. They were written to, to guide us. They were meant as examples for God's people of all time. And that's, that's what Psalm 78 does. That's exactly what it says. It takes the form of, of a proverb, kind of a wisdom literature sort of don't forget this history. In fact, to make sure this history is not forgotten, the psalmist will show us here in the introduction that you must teach this history to the next generation. The history's not an elective that, that can be declined. Like, I'm not a history person. I'm not really into all this. The, the very point of Psalm 78 is, no, you must know this. You must know how God has worked with his people and how his people have responded. And, and you must not only know it, but you must repeat it for generations to come. And so I'm going to begin with just the first three verses of Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching, Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Verse 1 really sounds like a proverb, doesn't it? You, you can hear the echoes of the, the father in Proverbs saying, listen, pay attention to this and listen carefully. This is important. And then verses two and three begin to describe something about the nature of what he's about to teach them. Verse two in the CSB goes this way. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past. And I just give you that translation because it is it's interesting. Verse two, we say parable, dark sayings, and then CSB, wise sayings, mysteries. These are interesting words to us in that Asaph is trying to communicate with us in words that we may not fully understand what he's saying. Past mysteries, dark sayings. Uh, verse 3 adds the idea of things that we've heard from before that have been passed down to us before. It, it could all sound like Folklore, you know, these are just kind of old stories and that's not really what Asaph meant at all. He wasn't saying that these are just traditions and old stories. The Hebrew word for parable 
could mean a proverb. It could have that same idea of a truth that is based on a life experience. Jesus spoke in parables or the proverbs take um, sort of familiar life experiences and say, this is how God has said it to be. This is God's design for you. So th this is wisdom from God. Verse two, when it says mysteries or dark sayings, the word could be translated as riddles and not, not in the sort of humorous kind of lighthearted sense, but rather a statement that could seem perplexing or obscure. Um, the, the, the New Testament speaks of mysteries, those things that in the past were hidden but are now revealed. And that's kind of the sense here in verse two when it speaks of these mysteries or dark sayings. It's the idea that the words may seem clear, but the actual intent of the statement there, there may be more to it. There, it may take some thought here to see what it is that God is revealing to us. And so the psalmist is saying, pay attention and listen carefully, because I know that, I'm speaking on the psalmist here, I know your propensity at this point is to flip the switch and say, old stories, history, heard it all before, don't need to hear it again, and, and it's really not important, and it's really not relevant to where we are now, it's just old stuff. And the psalmist is saying that would be a mistake. That would be the wrong way to approach this because this is not simply about the past. It is about your future. In that, yes, these things you've heard before, and he's acknowledged that in verse three, things that have been passed down before, and these are old stories in a sense, but there are profoundly important lessons. And so you would do well to pay attention and listen carefully. And then he begins to explain why in verse four. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Here's why the Lord commands this, that we pay attention and listen carefully to what he's about to say about history and his dealing with people, because we need to not only know how God has worked in the past and how his people have responded. We need to not only meditate on that, but we need to take it to heart so we can teach it, so we can pass it down to the next generation and the generation after that. It's really hard to miss the main point in this introduction in that over three verses, verses four, five, and six, six times Asaph will say something about children or the next generation and all of them having to do with teaching, instructing, passing down. And so he's saying it over and over again. Don't, don't ignore this. Don't turn the switch. Listen, because you have a responsibility to engage with the next generation and to teach these things to them. We must know the history, he says here, of the glorious deeds of the Lord and of his might and the wonders that he has done. He's talking about God's works, knowing the deeds of God, knowing how God has revealed himself to us. They must be taught about his deeds. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He said, we will look forward to future generations and endeavor to provide for their godly education. It is the duty of the church of God to maintain in fullest vigor every agency intended for the religious education of the young. To them we must look for the church of the future, and as we sow towards them, so shall we reap. 
Spurgeon's carrying forward the theme of Psalm 78.4, which is the we part of that, that we must do this. We will not hide these things. We will tell these things. He's speaking as a a call to the the corporate community, to the, the body of those who are obedient to the Lord, that we now have a responsibility in our obedience, and that is to tell the next generation, to inform them. Now, just to be really clear here, Christian parents, you are the first line in this. You, you are the ultimate point of responsibility to bring your children up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. Of, of all of the goals that you may set for your child, and, and we know there, there can be a ton of them that we think about, different goals that we aspire for them. Of all of those goals, the one that should top all others is that they be taught about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they understand who their creator is and what it is to be accountable to him and what he's done by way of sending his son to provide redemption. That's most important. And so all other skills and talents and competencies have to be secondary to teaching kids about their creator's deeds, his might, and his wonders, as he says here in Psalm 78, and the redemption that he offers. The thing they need most is a grand, large view of God and God's justice and his mercy and his goodness and his grace. And Mother's Day is as, seems to me, as good as any day to remind all of us that every mother and father is a flawed sinner in need of grace. But if, by God's grace, despite their flaws, you had or have parents who tried to ensure you to ensure that you learned about the Lord and his gospel, then praise God for them. Then give thanks that, that they sought to impart that to you. And for those of you who did not, praise God that you are here now and you are hearing of his truth. Praise God for his grace and his continued work in your life. But, but as Spurgeon emphasizes, the, the community, the local church, has to play a part in the equipping of of parents and then then coming alongside those parents and and teaching them and instructing them so that they then can pass that down. And in particular, what he's talking about in verse 4 is testifying about God's works, his power. Within the community of believers, the next generation should regularly hear testimonies of God's grace and his power and his deeds. Not only should they hear from the scriptures, and we'll see more of that in verse 5, but I would say as well that when, when we do baptisms, that shouldn't be the only time that the next generation should be able to hear of God's work and his power. That's something that they should be hearing from their parents, and it's something they should be hearing from the community of how we see God at work and how we see God faithful and good and, and, and just and kind, how we see his work in our lives. Verse 5 then says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Verse 4 emphasizes God's works, his deeds, his power, his might. Then then verse 
5 now is talking about his word, about what he has done. Verse 4 is starting to lead into all of the works and testimonies that will come of God's deliverance from slavery and his orchestrating the plagues to bring the people out of Egypt and caring for his people in the wilderness and raising up David. Those are all stories that we'll see in in the rest of Psalm 78. You'll see as I encourage you to read the rest of the Psalm. We won't do it all this morning. But all of those testify of his works. Then in verse 5, it shifts to his words. Tell of his works and then recite his words. When verse 5 speaks of a testimony in Jacob, it's first establishing the premise that one of the purposes of of Israel, one of the purposes of the nation was to be a testimony to others, was to stand and be different because of the law to which they subscribed, the, the God who gave them that law because he delivered them and he was their God. They were to be a testimony among others. God established them there to be a light in that sense, that, that they would be to their neighbors. But then it also says that he appointed a law in Israel. Psalmist is undoubtedly talking here about the giving of the law, God's giving of the law through Moses. Um, the, the, the pattern that, that we see here is really similar to one of the other great passages that we look to on parenting is Deuteronomy 6. But if you you back up, Deuteronomy 5 is Moses reciting again the the Ten Commandments. They have already been given, but he's now sort of teaching on them, expositing them in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And then at the conclusion of that, chapter 6 begins, and Deuteronomy 6 begins, verse 1, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. So Moses says, I've I've just recited these commandments to you. I've recited God's law to you and, and his statutes and his rules so that you would now obey him as you go in to possess the land that he has given you. So there's the pattern. Essentially, God God spoke, you heard him, we've taught it to make sure that you understand it, now you keep it, you obey it, and then if you go on in Deuteronomy 6, what does he say next? The familiar verses are verses 6 and 7. He says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in the house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise." This is exactly the pattern we're seeing in Psalm 78. I have given you my law so that you would obey me, so that you would keep my commands. But it doesn't stop there. You must now teach the next generation. You must testify of my works and you must teach them my commands. And so the law is given and he commands them now to speak God's word to the next generation, to recite it, to tell of his works and his words. Let let me just... Pause here because there's a chance here that for some of you who are not parents, this is one of those moments when you start to drift and say, well, this is mostly for parents. Let let me exhort you again that I I think both in Deuteronomy, but primarily here in in Psalm 78, he's really saying we as a community, nation, this is is a responsibility that we have. That, That next generation needs to hear from beyond their parents that God is great and God does mighty things and that God's word is true, and and they need to hear those things. The church is charged with teaching sound doctrine and refuting error. And so in the process, then equipping moms and dads to to better disciple their children, and and the church must take part in that training. Whether the the teaching is for first graders or 10th graders, it has to be rich in truth and sound in doctrine and 
exalting and glorifying God and saturate it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our, our purpose in children's ministry, in youth ministry, is, is not to entertain. It should be age appropriate. And yes, it's okay for them to have fun along the way. But the primary emphasis is, do they understand the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are they hearing that they have a savior who died and, and took sin on himself so that they can be saved and that they can live in the power of that gospel and be sustained by it? At all ages, children should be receiving biblical truth and learning the fear of the Lord. And if there's an opportunity to come further alongside parents, more than just Sunday morning, as we do now with Logos, that, that education should equip them with a, a biblical worldview that enables them to, to look at science and math and history and language and all of these things through the, the, the grid of a Christ-centered worldview that, that emphasizes the character of Christ and teaches them that. Let me read on. Verse 6 says, Arise and tell them to their children, so that, verse 7, they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So he's continued to emphasize this teaching of children that he's spoken about in, in verses 4 and 5, and now again he picks it up 6 and 7, and says this command to train the next generation is ultimately for three positive reasons and then one warning that we'll get to when we get down to verse 8. But he says, tell your children these things so that first they would put their hope in God, that they would put their confidence in Him. This is not the ordinary Hebrew word for hope. The ordinary word has the idea of an expectation or waiting, what we normally think of when we hear hope. The word that Asaph uses here in verse 7 really is best described as confidence. And when it says that they should set their hope or confidence in God, it's the same word for set that's used in verse 5 when it says that God set a law, God established a law. And so it's saying that in the same way that God fixed his law, established that this is my law and it is firm and secure, He's now saying, using that same language to say, and now train your children in such a way so that their confidence would be established in God, so that it would be firmly rooted in Him. Teach them so that they would learn to fix their hope firmly on their Creator. Pollsters tell us that one of the interesting trends of the last decade is that when you ask people about the future, particularly the future of the country and what they see coming, that 10 years ago, you primarily saw pessimism from those who were middle-aged and up, and you saw optimism from those who were younger, 35 down to 18, that normally you saw optimism there and pessimism in the older years. That's flipped in the last 10 years or so that the recent polls show not a lot, but optimism is more at the older years and pessimism is more at the younger years. And the more that they poll, the more that they see that the younger generation sees things as uncertain and unstable and, and largely spiraling out of control and not sure of what lies ahead. And, and, and that's exactly why the psalmist reminds us here to, to teach God's works and God's words so that their confidence would not be 
whoever is in charge of the government or, or whatever policy is in place or whatever is happening in the court system because that is unstable and uncertain. Put, establish, root your confidence in something that is strong and unshakable and immovable and eternal, and that is Yahweh, that is God. And teach them regularly, he says, because we as human beings have a propensity to forget, right? We have a propensity to forget even important things, to forget important dates. Hopefully everybody remembered Mother's Day, right, this morning, and nobody had to be reminded in any way. We can hear the most important, life-changing truths from Scripture. We can hear them in a sermon, we can hear them in a podcast, and they can move us and move our emotions, and we cling to them, and that day they, they take root, and a week later our circumstances can be turned upside down, and it's as if functionally we have completely forgotten everything that we, we were taught. Suddenly we are questioning everything and wondering where God is, and we hit these dire circumstances, and we can forget all that we've been told about him. And that's, that's the essence of the warnings in Psalm 78, is, is firmly establish this confidence in God, and, and by virtue of learning of his works and his words, do it repeatedly so that you, you don't so easily forget. If you look down for just a moment at verse 10, Psalm 78, and he's talking about the Ephraimites, another name for Israel. Psalm 78, verse 10, they did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Ephraim was one of Joseph's sons. The name becomes synonymous with Israel, Ephraim. And so he's saying here, the people of Israel, one of the leading reasons why they are not obeying God and keeping the covenant is because they forgot. Because there is this history of God's mercy on them and God's power to deliver and God's sustaining work, and yet somehow they have forgotten. Time passed, circumstances changed, Doubts crept in, all sorts of reasons, but instead of dwelling on the power of God to deliver them and knowing what he's done in the past and obeying his word, they simply pushed it all aside and forgot. That's why we, we gather on Sunday mornings. That's why we, we read during the week and we're in scripture during the week. And, and some of you are listening to podcasts and other sermons, and, and we are trying to, to keep this. We listen to Christian songs, to theologically rich songs, because we know, we know our propensity to, to just functionally forget these things. And so he says, continue to teach them. How could we ever forget God's mercy that saved us? How could we ever forget his power to crush sin and death? And yet we do. And that's why we need to speak these truths again and again to our children and testify of his work in our lives, of his power. Scripture is then good in, 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 in not leaving us with just the put off, as it, so often it, it will give a put off and a put on. And so the put off is so that you don't forget, but then you also see in verse 7, not forgetting the works of God, but keeping his commandment. Teach your children in such a way that they would be keepers of what they've been taught. So if they can build confidence, establish confidence in God, that will help them then to remember his ways as they are recited before him, as we live out those testimonies of God's grace in our lives. A good guard, somebody who's on watch, is not casual about what they're doing. 
They are intent, they are focused, they are watching for threats, they are looking to protect, they are trying to keep things safe. And that's the language that he's using here, that, that when it comes to God's commands, we're not casual about them, but rather we are holding them. We are learning them, obeying them, trusting in them. And we need to be teaching that to the next generation, the practical aspects of what it means to, to keep his commands by example and instruction, helping them to see what it is to hold fast, to obey God in all circumstances and trust him. And friends, these are things that believing parents and, and the community of believers are called to do. Teach our children, teach the next generation lest they become forgetful, but rather help them to become keepers of his word and remembering that there is a great savior who rescues. So here at Grace, we, are, we have been striving to ground parents in the word of God. We have been striving to make sure that our children's ministry and our youth ministry is, is teaching the scriptures, is helping to apply the scriptures, is being as theologically sound as everything we do here so that what we proclaim, what our kids hear at all ages is truth of God's greatness and instructing them in these truths. Let me show you an example of what I've been talking about. Oh. I have a son who is five, his name is Christian, and we've been a part of Grace Bible Church for about five years. When I first attended Grace Bible Church, my son was two months old. I was a little bit in that new mom haze, and I knew I needed a community, and there were three women that came up to me and introduced themselves of, tell me your story. How old is your son? Have you ever been to church? And so it was that connection that formed right away because they were so eager to want to pour in to somebody who needed it. One really key spiritual moment that I experienced here um, was my baptism. I didn't grow up in the church and so that was kind of a foreign concept of like an adult being baptized professing my faith and saying like, I believe in Jesus and I believe he came here to save me in such a defining moment that I want one day for my kid to see, right? Like for him to also be able to do that. And just, you know, for my extended family and everything like that of, yeah, I'm a Christian and that's what I believe in. I see grace is really impacting our community. I am a part of the prayer walks that we do in my community. It has changed my neighbors. I see like fellow people that I saw on the street now come to Grace and it just has given such a, like a sense of purpose in my life that is really impacting Lorton. It was really important for me to be at a church where I could raise my son and they could help me raise my son as fellow believers that came around me to be this village that raised him. It is amazing to see God's work in his life. It started right as him just in the nursery and all of these women that uh, got to love on him of just Sunday mornings rocking him, 
Um, but then as he got older and really started to learn who Jesus was, and now that he goes to the school, he's teaching me some of the stuff that they're learning in Latin and the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of Heaven and Earth, and Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. Sending the hell, the third day he rose again from the dead. And seated, right? Seated on the right hand of God the Father. As I think about Arise and Shine, I really, really am encouraged for the school. I honestly started to pray for a schooling option for him when he was born. When he was born five years ago, I wanted him to go to a biblical school. I wanted it to be a classical model. I wanted it to be close to our house. And I knew all of these things couldn't happen. My brain back then said, that's not an option. And for God to create that, for him, for us, is amazing. And so I just want that blessing to be for other families. I know there are other single moms out there. I know that there are other families that look just like mine or are going through difficult times just like I did that want another option, that want their kid to know about Jesus and have that foundation from kindergarten. And so if our building, right, if the confines of our building can actually grow and support that, how amazing would that be? Sometimes somebody can tell you a lot better than I can of just why this is more than a building program. Um, this is more than just sticking a building on the property that's behind me. Lagos Academy will be at capacity this fall. There, there, it, there's wait-listed people now because they've reached the point that we're out of space. This space that you go over and get your coffee at, that, that little spot between the closet and the coffee, the, the intent for that next year is that the high school kids will have their classes, some of their classes, in that space. That's the, the, the cry room. 115, you, you name it. Everything in this building, other than our offices down there, and, and if we had to move out of those, maybe we have to, but um, because it's full. And, and, and by God's grace, we are praying and believing that the children's ministry classrooms are, are, are also going to be full over time. And so there is an urgency to this. And best case scenario, miraculous scenario, is from the moment that we say go, Lord willing, in June, to the time that we can occupy that building is three years. Really, Bob is thinking, well, he is so optimistic on these things right now, right? <laughs> three years, and then we still got work to do in here as part of the project to put, make this a two-story room so that there'd be eight classrooms, the potential for eight classrooms here. Um, all of that takes time, and so that's why we've been asking since March, asking you to pray about this, asking you because it's, it is 
it is in the elders' minds at this point, and I think you've heard through these videos, it is that important um, that we continue to plan for this and, and be ahead of, we're already behind in terms of growth when it comes to Lagos, but that we can get as ahead as we can get. We have commitment so far for a third of the total. So there's just under 1.7 million to, to be committed at this point, and that is a lot of money, and it will take the sacrificial giving of God's people um, and, and a work of his hand. We talked about giving last week and just the, the role of the church in the lives of believers I said it to you on week one, for, for God's people, we are a place of refuge and equipping in the midst of a dark world. And, and you saw just that in what Michelle shared, in, in that equipping, not only for her through women's ministry and through the, the nurturing that she got, but now through reciting truths, the Apostles' Creed, through, through going back over again and again through the scriptures. I had the privilege of sitting in on chapel this week at Lagos and just the, 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 the memory work of just reciting again and again these truths so that they would become, like in little Christian's heart, something that is there, something that he can ultimately, Lord willing, put his hope and confidence in, his full trust in. And so for our community, we are lights to love our neighbors and to hold out the gospel. Michelle said it again, that the hope is that, that this would be a place that would invite, that would gladly have more room for others, for other families to come. And that work, that mission is done as we gather, as we come together and do ministry together and do life together and sing songs that are rich in theology and meditate on God's word and create a culture that emphasizes discipleship and home groups and Bible studies and counseling and loving and serving one another. And I think, a little quick personal reflection here from comments I've heard from people, I, I, I think many of you who have looked in this area for a local church before have found that there is not an abundant supply of churches that are committed to expository preaching of God's word that are committed to songs that are theologically sound and having a culture where the gospel is at the center of everything. There are, there are others. I'm not trying to make us like we're up on this holy hill all by ourselves, but I think you'll agree that there's not an enormous supply of them. And that's not being critical, it's just being honest because we hear it time and time again from new members that one of the reasons they're here is because they had looked around and they have been at other churches and there were different things going on. But, but here ultimately is where they got that combination of things. And, and I would say to you on a strictly human level, it will not get easier for local churches to stand on God's truth and to proclaim the whole counsel of God's word. And we know that from scripture, there will be increasing pressure to compromise the truth and to back off on the, the wrath of God or the judgment of God or to speak about hell. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The time is coming and is here. We, we see it on a regular basis. And I would humbly suggest that a chief reason Grace Bible Church continues growing is that we're still striving to proclaim God's word, to, to, to spend a morning talking about Psalm 78 and that our classrooms are full because they are hearing about God's goodness and Christ's character. And there is an urgent need for equipping the next generation. 
And that urgency we've already seen throughout this introduction of Psalm 78, but let me read one last verse, one final warning in this introduction, and it is that verse 8 about why it is so necessary to testify to the next generation of God's words and his works. It says to teach them that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. See, it's not just the the New Testament in 2 Timothy that warns of the dangers of failing to teach God's word. It's history itself. The the revelation of Psalm 78 is that the the, the rest of the history that's revealed in Psalm 78 is one of these cycles of failure. It's here's God doing this miraculous work and delivering and sustaining his people, and here are the people falling into rebellion and sin. They are briefly in awe, and then they forget, and then they disobey. It happened over and over, and the warning to God's people from the psalmist is teach them. Teach them even from the bad examples. Even in our lives, teaching them from the the bad examples, helping them to see what we have learned by God's grace, and helping to persuade them away from being foolish and rebellious. Show them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Show them that it not only saves them from sin and from the judgment of God, but that it sustains them that it is the very truth that they are to live by day by day, that they serve a gracious and glorious God who is there urging us to depend on him, that a sinless Savior gave his life on the cross and that they can have life by trusting in him and have that abundant eternal life. Friends, that is our calling now and for generations to come. And may we arise to that calling. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the repeated records in the Old Testament in which we can see glimmers, if not glaring reflections of our own humanity, of our own tendencies to forget, to have stood in awe, and to have worshipped, and then to find ourselves not long after that in some heated argument over nothing, or yielding to some temptation foolishly, or when things become difficult, beginning to question what it is we see in your word. Thank you that you have shown us that this is one of the the truths, one of the realities of living in the flesh, but that you have not left us alone, that you are eager to help us, that through your grace and your gospel, you continue to minister to your people, even in those times of temptation and discouragement, that your forgiveness is still good, your mercy toward us is still real. And so thank you for these lessons from history, and Father, I pray for us as a body of believers that you would continue to give resolve to this community of believers to hold fast to your truth when the itching ears of the world look for something different, something that doesn't speak about sin or hell or judgment, Lord, we pray that we would not be afraid to say what Scripture says, but that we would proclaim it clearly, boldly, that we would carry on the ministry of the Word, whether it be in what's wrapping up upstairs now in children's ministry, whether it be tomorrow morning at Lagos, 
whether it be in here on Sunday mornings, Lord, we pray that your word would be proclaimed, your works would be known and spoken of again and again. And Lord, we pray for your grace poured out on us that we would carry on this work of ministry, that whatever your will is for this building program, Lord, that we would trust you, that we would know that you are good, and that we would know that whatever is supplied is from your hand. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.